Life is hectic, so wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with Factor's chef-crafted and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. With over 35 options a week, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more, they've got a variety that fits your lifestyle. Factor has restaurant-quality meals ready to heat and eat in just two minutes. They also have various easy options for the entire day, from breakfast to midday bites, smoothies, and more. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is a nutritious and delicious experience, and it won't break the bank. You can customize your meals by choosing 6 to 18 per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule deliveries anytime to fit your schedule. Factor meals are 100% hassle-free, giving you more time for what matters. Head to factormeals.com slash otherside50 and use the code otherside50 to get 50% off. That's code otherside50 at factormeals.com for 50% off your delicious, hassle-free meals. Oh, hi. My name is Brooke Jones. Those of you on the West Coast, you might actually have listened to me on the radio for a billion years in San Francisco and Los Angeles. For the rest of you, <laughs> you're lucky. I was invited to come here to tell you about an experience that I had many years ago. And to say it was the most profound experience of my life is a bit of an understatement. I wrote it all down and miraculously, it was published recently in this book, Why Are There Monkeys and Other Questions for God. It's the word for word account of my near-death experience. And when I was given proof that it really happened, which I was given, I realized that I had to share this. So I wrote it, it was published, it's a bestseller now, it's totally gobsmacked by that. But I've come here to share my story with you and perhaps convince you to buy this book because I don't pocket a penny. I don't make a dime from this. I'm a breast cancer warrior and I donate every penny of profits from the sale of this book to the Breast Cancer Research Foundation. So if you wonder why I'm hawking my book, that's why. Well, it's a great story, but it's also a great cause because the Breast Cancer Research Foundation is maybe this close to ending breast cancer, which hello, would be a great thing. So any help you can give would be greatly appreciated. Okay, now I'm going to jump into my story. I took some notes so I wouldn't get lost because, you know, I'm old. I get lost easily. I think I have three remaining memory cells at this point. I call them Larry, Moe, and Gurley. <laughs> They're not to be trusted. So I have notes. I'm going to tell you a story now. So sit back and enjoy. I was just past my 25th birthday when I first passed from this life. While in contemporary parlance, it's known as a near-death experience, I have never really agreed with that term. Because as anyone who's had one will tell you, when you are having one, you're not near death. You're flat out all the way dead, which I was for a full eight minutes. Legally, 
totally dead. And I, instead of calling it a near-death experience, I call it an actual death experience, an ADE, because that's a much better description of what happens to us when we cross over, because we are, in fact, dead. We're not near it. We're there. My trip was the result, and I will admit it, of a drug overdose. As I said, I was 25 and foolish, though it's probably redundant to say 25 and foolish because, I mean, show me a 25-year-old who's never foolish and I'll <laughs> show you a paisley unicorn. Because my experience has many people asking, I figure this is a good place to give an answer. They've asked if the precise cause of one's passing out of this life determines our final destination. And they're asking, of course, can you go to heaven if you commit suicide or you overdose? Well, thanks to my experience, I can say without reservation, what kills us does not determine our destination. For everybody who believes in a higher power or creator or whatever name you want to use, I got to ask, how small would an entity such as that have to be if it allowed one single moment to determine the worth of an entire lifetime? Hmm? And when the subject is the existence of any such entity, I have to add, look around you. Consider, I don't know, the majesty of the sunset or the beauty of a mountain covered in snow, or the sound of the ocean when it kisses the shore. I don't think it takes tremendous faith to believe that there is something greater than we are, but I do believe that it requires tremendous arrogance to believe that there is not. So, I was 25. I was still an idiot and a kid. And that was a long time ago. <laughs> so many years, in fact, that at the time, the term near-death experience didn't yet exist. Or, you know, if it did, it certainly hadn't become the coin of the New Age realm as it now is. And I had yet to hear of it. Or the now iconic tunnel of white light. But never having heard of it didn't prevent me from having I knew I was dying. I'm a child of the 60s. I know what a drug overdose looks like. I've seen more than my share of ODs. <laughs> Probably a part of your share as well. So I knew what was happening to me while it was happening. Time seemed to stop. Though I was not one accustomed to praying. I was, as I say in my book, a closet agnostic at the time, I suddenly began to pray. I prayed to whatever gods there might be. I envisioned Jeffrey Chandler and every other Hollywood actor I could think of whoever portrayed Jesus. I called out to a framed picture of Swami Satchidananda, who I'd studied with. He was sitting on my dresser not far from me. I chanted my mantra, and then I died. Never having heard of that tunnel, 
imagine my surprise when I found myself in it. I was not just in it. I was being carried by it. It was warm, it was gentle, and it seemed to be, are you ready? It seemed to be breathing. And then I wasn't being carried. I was standing. So I had no idea what I was standing on, but I was standing. And I looked around and I saw nothing. Nothing. And it wasn't that I was blind. I wasn't. It's just that there wasn't anything there. There wasn't anything to see. There wasn't anything at all, except what sort of resembled a thin, dry fog, sort of lit from within. And that's it, just, just me and that fog that wasn't really a fog and that light that was more than a light because it felt alive. I wasn't afraid. Confused, yes. Afraid, no. And the reason I wasn't afraid became clear to me eventually. But I'll get to that. See, I'm trying to tell this story in the order in which it happened. It's described word for word in this book exactly as it happened. But in the telling, things kind of, you know, bump into each other. I've heard it said that time is the creator's way of keeping things from bumping into each other. I, I don't know if that's true, but, <laughs> but I like the thought. Speaking of time, there, there, <laughs> there doesn't seem to be any on the other side. But that's another story, and I'm digressing. When the traveling tunnel stopped traveling, I found myself standing somewhere. Though, as I said, at that point, I didn't know where or on what I was standing, but I know I was standing. And with no one in sight, I just called out, hello, anybody here? I got no answer, so I called again. Hello, hello, no answer. So at that point I was getting a little frustrated. And before I knew it, the words, will somebody please tell me where the hell I am, actually fell out of my face, I swear to you, they did. <sighs> I was 25, you know, what do you expect? But that's when I found out that I was not alone. Watch your language. Try to remember where you are. Came a voice unlike any I had ever heard. These days I describe it as Darth Vader made to sound like Minnie Mouse. And in retrospect, <laughs> that's pretty much what it sounded like. 
this is this is probably a really good time to point out that during my entire experience, I didn't actually hear with my ears. It was more like my entire being had become a celestial tuning fork, and every single syllable that the voice uttered resonated through every cell of my body. And with that, my divine experience truly began. It took a few more words from that voice before I realized that I was actually in the presence of God or my creator or whatever. You can use any name you want. And by the time I had finally managed to wrap my head around that reality, I did what had always come naturally to me. I asked questions, lots and lots of questions. One of the first questions I ask, what do I call you? Father, Lord, Jesus, Allah, Yahweh, Goddess? And in response, the voice said, word for word here, I have been called all of those names and many more. And none of them do not define me. In other words, it makes no difference what we humans call that higher power creator or whatever, because he, she, it, they, them knows who and what he, she, it, they are, is. And is that being male or female? That's one of the questions I asked pretty early on. And, you know, don't you want to know the answer to that question? Well, my question was met with laughter. And yes, God does laugh. And it is the warmest, the most delicious sound I have ever experienced. It felt as if every cell in my body was smiling and being hugged. It was a feeling I never wanted to stop feeling. I was told that eight minutes passed here on Earth while I was busy being dead. But where exactly was I? Because I saw nothing other than that fog that wasn't really fog and that light that wasn't just light, I had no idea where I was until the voice told me that I was basically at the doorstep of heaven. Well, of course, I didn't see a doorstep or a door or a step, but it didn't seem to matter because the voice told me that that's where I was and who am I to argue with the maker of all that exists? As for the answer to the question, is God male or female? After the laughter ended, the voice said, why does everybody ask me that question? Why would God ask me a question? I wasn't ready for that. I can ask them. I'm not so good with answering them. And I was amused to learn that I was not, not the only one to have ever asked that question. So is God male or female? Well, 
When the laughter finally ended, I heard or felt the deepest, most beautifully male voice I have ever heard say, I am neither. And then the softest, most gentle, and obviously feminine voice I had ever experienced said, then again, I'm both. <laughs> Wouldn't you love to see the, <laughs> the look on the faces of Jerry Falwell or Billy Graham or you know Jimmy Swaggart when they learn that truth? Oh, I would. I have no doubt that had I been many years older and wiser than 25, I would have asked questions that were a bit more profound than the questions my 25-year-old brain came up with. But I was 25 and profound really wasn't in my repertoire. So I asked the questions that a decidedly unprofound 25-year-old would ask. I asked about miracles and the Bible. Do miracles really happen? And is the Bible the actual word of God? I asked every question I could think of and I was given the answers. In the midst of it, I asked for something to write with. I kid you not, I really did. Because my memory's never been good, even when I was 25. And I didn't want to forget what I was being told. And then the voice said, you don't need anything to write with. You will remember because I am writing it on your soul. At the time, I had no idea what that meant. Not long after I returned, I received undeniable proof that the entire experience really had happened. And yes, that undeniable proof is described in detail in the book. If I tried to explain that proof to you right here and now, it really wouldn't it wouldn't make any sense because it's all connected with other things that are happening during the course of this story. But when you read it, it'll make perfect sense. And, and just for the record, I've always been annoyed by authors who, when they give interviews, they answer some questions by saying, oh, well, it's in the book, just read the book. And yet, here I am, an author saying that very thing. And you know, I'm sorry, but please trust me. When you read the entire story, which by the way, takes less than two hours to read from cover to cover, the answer will make perfect sense. And every word of my experience, every question I asked, every answer I was given, they're all in the book, word for word. There have been several people who after reading this book have said that it couldn't possibly be a true story because in my experience, God was funny. And according to those folks, it's not true. It couldn't be true because God can't be funny. Really? God can't be funny? But, but I, I thought that true believers believe that God could do anything. Well, apparently there, God has limits. Sad, but apparently true. At no time during my entire experience was I ever frightened 
And when I first realized where I was, I found my total lack of fear puzzling. I mean, there I was conversing with the creator of the universe. Shouldn't I have, have been absolutely terrified? But I wasn't. Not at all. I was engaged in a question and answer session with the ultimate answer man, woman, being, entity, whatever. And I felt totally, completely comfortable, safe, and at ease. Why? Well, I've had a long time to ponder that particular question, and all I've come up with is another question. What reason would the creator of all that exists have for frightening me. If one considers God to be the father and made of love, what loving father would want to scare the daylights out of his, her, their child? Wouldn't such a being rather do all in his power to make his child feel safe, protected and comfortable? Well, I mean, if Robin Williams or Mr. Rogers could portray a loving, gentle, kind father, couldn't God? As for why my meeting with the Almighty was filled with laughter, all I can offer is that humor has been my language of choice since I first began to speak. It's just the way I communicate. It's what's most natural and comfortable for me. So at least to me, it makes sense that in his efforts to make me feel at ease, God would express himself in a way that was most natural and non-threatening to me. And for me, that involves humor. As for God, wouldn't or couldn't be humorous? <laughs> well, if God has the ability to be anyone or anything or anywhere, being funny would be a piece of cake, wouldn't it? Not all of my experience was laugh out loud funny. I wish it had been, but alas, it wasn't. When I asked why there was so much hatred and violence among humans, the laughter came to a very abrupt halt. It was replaced by the unmistakable experience of God crying. Again, it was not something I heard with my ears. It was something I felt. And it felt as if the air that I seemed to be breathing, and yes, I did have this sensation of breathing during my experience. It felt as if that air was made of millions of jagged shards of shattered glass. That's how I learned that when we humans in our infinite insanity cause pain to any living being, we make God cry. I learned many things while I was dead, but without a doubt, the single most horrifying thing I learned is that we humans have the ability to make God weep. And please believe me, when I say that that experience of God crying is the single most painful thing I have ever endured. And, and that's, that's saying something. I've had a baby, I've had cancer, I've broken bones, I've lost more loved ones than I care to count, but 
all of that pain, much of it excruciating, all of it combined is like a tickle compared to the horror of experiencing God crying. Never having heard of a near-death experience, when I returned to the land of the living, I had no one to talk to about what I'd been through. And frankly, I didn't know what to make of it. Then I was given proof that everything I'd seen and heard and felt had, in fact, happened. It was proof I could not possibly deny. And that's when my life got truly turned upside down. Once I accepted the reality of my divine experience, I realized that I had to find a way to live whatever time remained to me in this life, in harmony with what I had learned during that experience. For reasons I don't really understand, the first thing I did was connect with a group of San Francisco radio personalities. I was a San Francisco rock and roll DJ at the time. These particular radio folks were perfectly rational people, or <laughs> as rational as anyone in radio and the music industry can possibly be. And they held a weekly Bible study group. So I joined, and every Wednesday evening we gathered together and we discussed the Bible, amongst other things. At the time, it seemed to be as good a place to begin as any I could think of. So I read, I studied, we talked, and things seemed to be going swimmingly until one day I was walking through my living room, and apparently I had left the TV on. And there on the screen at that particular moment, Pastor Pat Robertson, founder of the world-famous 700 Club, he was preaching to his TV audience. I and looked and listened just in time to hear him say, your place in heaven is assured with your generous donation to the 700 Club. Hmm. Okay. First thing I did was turn off the TV. The next thing I did was resign from the weekly Bible study group. Of course, since that time, the TV airwaves have become polluted with a plethora of $200 haircuts on $2 heads, so-called clergymen and clergywomen, I guess, from the church of your pastor needs a Learjet or who preach the gospel of God wants you to be rich. And if you're not rich, it's because God is not happy with you. Well, having experienced what I experienced, I knew that those $3,000 suit wearing, cap teeth grinning, Lamborghini driving alleged servants of the Lord are going to have a lot of explaining to do the day that they meet their maker. Oh, to be a fly on that wall. So what did I learn from my near-death experience or my actual death? experience. Well, for one thing, I learned that God has no interest in our bank balances. God doesn't even care what religion we are or to whom we pray or even if we pray. When it comes to the human race, the creator of all cares only, and I mean only, that we all treat all life human animal, plant, or otherwise, with respect, compassion, and decency. That's it. 
No magic handshake, no secret password required. All are welcome. How God deals, however, with the more despicable members of the human race, and you know who those are, those who knowingly cause pain, those who carelessly or thoughtlessly cause harm, those who spend their lives feathering their own nests with not a care for the less fortunate, how the creator deals with them, I can't really tell you because I don't know. It's not one of the many questions that the 25-year-old me even thought to ask. But if I had asked, based on several other answers I was given on subjects like reincarnation, amongst others, I'm willing to wager that the answer I would have been given is that's not something you need to know because it's none of your business. And of course it isn't. I've already got more on my plate than I know what to do with, and I'm fairly confident that God can handle all of those less than lovely humans without any help from me. I also learned that what we call death is definitely not the end. In fact, the truth is death is just a doorway to the life that awaits us after this one. Death and, and birth, they're both doorways. Each lead from one life to another. Just as birth is the end of the life we lived in the womb, and the beginning of a new life in a completely different environment. I mean, <laughs> during our life in the womb, we live in water and we don't even breathe air. Death is the end of the life we are currently living and the doorway to the life that awaits every one of us. Since its publication, my little book, Why Are There Monkeys, has been number one on Amazon's bestseller list, not once, but twice. And as awesome as that is, and it definitely is awesome, I will never stop inviting folks to pick up a copy of Why Are There Monkeys? Not only because I believe that it's a story that everybody should read, but because being as I am a breast cancer warrior, I donate 100% of all profits from the sale of this book to the Breast Cancer Research Foundation. So the more copies are sold, the more money the Breast Cancer Research Foundation receives to try and end breast cancer. If you want to know a bit more about me, maybe, or my years in Hollywood, or my decidedly unusual life, I cordially invite you to take a stroll or a scroll through my website, written by brookjones.com. And Brooke has an E on the end of it. I'm very attached to my E. Written by brookjones.com, all one word, where you will find a few amusing videos about me, as well as links to my blog, What If, my greeting card company, Cardbard Greetings. Yes, I create fun and occasionally twisted greeting cards for all occasions. The online site Camp Mima Day, home of my appropriately snarky memes, and a whole bunch more. And the profits from absolutely everything I do.
I donate to the Breast Cancer Research Foundation. You'll also on my website find a contact form. So if you want to ask me a question, you want to invite me to be a virtual guest at an online book club meeting, want to say hi or I don't know, stuff a sock in it, <laughs> whatever floats your boat, you can contact me through my website, writtenbybrookjones.com. There it is. Why are there monkeys? And other questions for God. I promise you will not see the end coming and you will never forget it. Trust me. Thanks for listening. And Nellie, thanks for inviting me to join you.